podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. The tenth time they've made it. They've won a playoff campaign. Hello and welcome back to a very special episode of the Eden Road podcast, a podcast for Brentford fans, by Brentford fans. We have just recorded a Leeds review, which will go out on Thursday night. But tonight we have a very special episode in store, which will hopefully fill the gap in our fixture list this weekend. Today, I'm joined by the usual suspects, Clayton and TS. TS, how are you, mate? Yeah, good, thanks. Clayton, all good? Yeah, good, excited for today. Perfect. Uh, and I'm delighted to say that we have the absolute pleasure of welcoming an inaugural guest to the Eden Road podcast, Natalie Sawyer. Natalie, thank you so much for taking the time to make an appearance on the podcast. How are you? I'm very, very well. Thank you. Absolute pleasure to be with you guys. Lovely. Uh, well, Natalie, before we get started, we do have a bit of a task for you. Here on the pod, we get every person to tell their funniest story ever Brentford story. And at the end of the season, we've got a few already, but at the end of the season, we're going to rank them. So unless you can't think of one, right, unless you can think of one right off the cuff, uh, I'll let you have a think about it and we can come back to it at the end of the podcast. Yeah, I might have to think of it. Um, I'm sure there'll be one or two, but at this moment in time, I can't quite think. But um, yeah, give me, give me a little chance for my mind to whir and uh, I'll hopefully have one for you later. No worries at all. Okay, uh, Natalie, first things first. Um, I think everyone who's got an affiliation with Brentford knows that you're one of the most high profile fans of our club. Um, but I'm not sure that many would know about how you became a Bees fan. Obviously, there, there is a clip on TalkSport that I have watched before, but I watched again um, in preparation for this. But I don't, for those who haven't seen it, uh, how did your love affair with Brentford begin? Um, oh gosh, well, I'm going back a while to when I was about seven, eight years old and football wasn't really a thing for my family. It's not like, you know, a generational thing that's just been, we've been swept along with it. Um, if anything, it all came down to my brother's love of football. Um, and just because he loved to play football that, and, and wanted to watch football, one of his birthdays, we got invited to a game and it was against Bristol Rovers. Gosh, I'm talking about a long time ago. Um, and it was, it was brilliant. We had such a fantastic day. It was kind of an autumnal evening. I can still picture myself myself sat in 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 um the wendy house so what would turned out to be the away end and the end at griffin park um and with the haze of the floodlights i can just see it all right now um and we just all loved it as a family and we were able to take some friends along as well but i was the only girl so i thought i was really special um and yeah it was just one of those games and one of those days it wasn't like the most memorable match in the world but just one of those days where i think we all just realized oh this is something we could do as a family and um that was it really that's how it all started off for us and we've been season ticket holders you know pretty much i'd say from the like late 1990s onwards really that's very wholesome stuff definitely definitely been a bit of a roller coaster supporting brentford um over the years not so much for the, the younger generation of fans but um we, we all started supporting memory league too and to be fair We've actually seen nothing but success since then. So uh, my uncle always tells me how lucky I am to have started supporting Brentford when I did because yeah. of how much disappointment that he'd seen in previous years. Um, what's it been like? What's it been like for you starting to support Brentford when you were a kid and, and until until present day? Oh, it's 
it's roller uh, just roller coaster. Um, I mean, in a way, I'm kind of I'm really appreciative of all the bad years we've had because the highs we're going through now are just incredible. Um, but yeah, I've been there in the League Two days, but the League Two days where we thought we were even going to be relegated to the conference at the time under Terry Butcher, who I must say is a lovely man, and I've met him many a time. He's lovely, but he just didn't work as a manager for us. Um, so I've been there in those days. I've been through a fair few relegations, but also enjoyed some promotions. Obviously, have endured the heartaches of playoff finals before and playoffs in general um but uh yeah I, I would say right now it's absolutely amazing to be a Brentford fan and I'm so proud to be a Brentford fan as well because not only I just think we're making the most incredible mark in the Premier League right now and um long may that continue but yeah I would say definitely up and down it, that's what life has been like for me as a Bees fan. Clayton did you did you want to did you want to come in there? <laughs> yeah sorry um the, my space bar wasn't working um, just kind of just going back to those lows, like, is there like one moment, like you kind of think like, oh, maybe standing on the terrace or something, is there like the ultimate low that you kind of have in your mind, kind of those, those days we kind of went back to? Well, do you know what? In, in some ways, probably the, one of the worst seasons was, was the Steve Coppel season when we lost in the playoff final to Stoke and it, a, a team that was so brilliant and you felt was so unlucky to miss out on automatic promotion to then head to Cardiff full of optimism thinking that we're going to win this one. And we just performed so badly. I think that's just one that stands out in my memory because it was just, like I say, over that course of a season, it just felt like we were so close to getting promoted automatically, missing out on that and then going through the playoffs, but still feeling optimistic. And then to just not play to our standard, it was just so disappointing. I remember stopping off at a, a garret, a petrol like service station, and with my my dad and brother and my mum, we'd all be travelling down and uh, seeing like one of these little like um, uh, little like what's what ceramic bear or something like that, uh, and it had a little red and white scarf on it. And I went, oh, to my brother, I was like, oh wow, this fate, we're going to win. And he was like, well, you do realise Stoke play in red and white as well. And I was like, no, no, I completely forgot. And so I mean, everything was just crushing of that day. So. There has been lots of lows. Obviously, like I mentioned, there has been relegations and things like that. Um, but I think just that one playoff final really stands out as a final that I felt we should have won just over the course of a season, how well we played. But it just didn't work out, unfortunately. But then again, I always think maybe that's destiny. And it was all it all led up to the uh, obviously championship playoff final, which we won eventually. <laughs> yeah, no, it's interesting. It always comes back to the playoff finals with Brentford, doesn't it? Yeah. <laughs> would you, would you contrast it then? Would you say... Would you say the highlight, the biggest one, was that that day in a half-empty Wembley? Yeah. I mean, I was very fortunate to be there. Um, and it's a shame that the majority of Brentford fans, or, or if not all Brentford fans, couldn't be there. But to be one of the lucky few and to just feel as though, I don't know, from start to finish, we just bossed that game and just thoroughly deserved to go up. And um, yeah, obviously that has to be. In terms of just the overall achievement, that is massive. But if you fast forward to this season and some of the results we've had, they're, they're not far off, to be fair. But um, but that one, just ticking off so many things, winning a playoff, uh, winning a playoff that gets you into the Premier League, the most expensive uh, football game in in in, in world football. Um, it was just an incredible achievement all around. And I did celebrate for a number of days and had a hangover for a long time as well. <laughs> <laughs> were, you, were you part of any of the celebrations back at the club or...? I was. I was very fortunate. I was invited back, um, and yeah, it was great. It was. Um, it was just as you can imagine, just a wonderful atmosphere, and everyone just so ecstatic. And um, 
you know, seeing Emiliano Marcondes running off with the trophy like I did, and um, like he did, sorry, and was it did he, was it the Express that he went into that pub? Yeah. For so all those kind of things, and obviously seeing all the fans on Kew Bridge and the red flares, and you know, to think such a tiny little club like like we are to have achieved such a massive momentous thing in getting into the Premier League. It was just so nice to see everybody out and about and just celebrating. And it was I was at Wembley and trying to get blood, trying to get back from Wembley was so hard. Um, but I was lucky enough, like I say, to then be able to be amongst everybody at the at the stadium and and just get involved. And it was, oh, like I say, just a brilliant day and um, a few days of celebrating as well. I just want to go back to you mentioned uh, Griffin Park and and standing in the Wendy House. Obviously, not called that anymore. Um, coming from India, I'm sure I'm sure you've got a lot of fond memories of Griffin Park. Uh, the announcement of the new stadium back in 2012 feels so long ago, um, mm-hmm. and it kind of even today kind of still splits the opinion of Brentford fans. I, I always I always see some tweets saying we never replicate the atmosphere, even though I think we're doing a good job of of sort of yeah. settling into the GTEC. Um, how have you found that kind of transition from Griffin Park to to the new stadium? Oh, I'm I'm sure like most fans, I was I'm a romantic, so Griffin Park is where I fell in love with football. So in a way, leaving it was a wrench and leaving it in the way that we left it. We weren't even able to give it the goodbye that it deserved. Um, so that's always a sadness, I think. But I absolutely think that the GTEC Stadium now is our home and it feels like it's been our home for ages rather than just a few seasons, really. Uh, when you consider like fans were only allowed in, uh, what was it? two seasons ago um so I I think we've done really well to make it feel like it's been our home for so long and I do think we replicate a really great well we have a fantastic atmosphere um it's some of the well you know when we win and what we those sort of celebrations after after a win are just so magical and even though you know sometimes you might think oh they're doing it again isn't it boring but it's just never boring it's fun and I just think yeah, it's really what they've done with that stadium is unbelievable. Really, it's fantastic, and it's still intimate. It's so it still has that slightly intimate feeling, like Griffin Park did. Although Griffin Park was a lot smaller, obviously, and was very old and and falling apart in places, but it had its charm. I'll always miss it because I loved it. But equally, I sort of feel like we have started a new chapter and started a new chapter in the Premier League with a wonderful stadium that hopefully will remain a Premier League stadium for a very long time. Um, so yeah, I, I have mixed emotions about it, but I do absolutely love the new stadium. Just when, when you say they're really doing it again, are you talking about Freed from Desire at full time? Is that what yeah, you're talking about? All of that. Yeah, all of that. Yeah, I love all that stuff. I just think, I mean, I'm sure they probably would have done it at Griffin Park if we were still there, but I just love it. I just think it's so well done. And obviously Thomas Frank has been so pivotal to all of that by, you know, even going back to the Bournemouth semi-final, the playoffs. And I was again, very fortunate to be at that game that second leg and how he'd gone round prior to the game for kicking off to get all the fans that were in the stadium whipped up. And I can't believe the atmosphere that, that we were able to create in that stadium. It did feel like it was a capacity crowd and yet it was only what four, four and a bit thousand that were there. And just from that, I remember thinking, wow, when this is full, this stadium is going to be electric. And at times it is, there are lulls, but that's like any stadium. So I think we make a really, really great atmosphere. And I think most people enjoy a day out at, at the GTEC as well. Yeah, 100%. I think I think a lot of um, away fans would have enjoyed a day out at Griffin Park. It's kind of one thing that I always wish that I would have gone to being on the opposite end because everyone always waxes lyrical about how great an away end 
we had at mm. Griffin Park. Mm. Um, just quickly, what best memory of Griffin Park, if you can put it down to one game or? Oh, gosh, that is a good question. But you know what it was? Um, uh, now, this is going to sound ridiculous because I should know. But there was a Boxing Day match where my son was a mascot. Um, and I cannot remember the opposition. I want to say it was Ipswich, but I'm not sure if that's 100% right. Um, but that is a really good memory for me, just because seeing him being walked out with the team. And I mean, in all fairness, he's not massively into football. So he came skipping out, whereas all the other mascots would come charging out. Um, but it was still like just a wonderful moment to see him in his little Brentford kit and enjoying it and you know, I, it was that's that's a really fond memory of mine. Just seeing that. Obviously, there are loads of games that I could probably try and think and and relive, but just as a one as a moment that will stand out. And actually, the whole I mentioned about falling in love with football. Well, that's where. So it's always me, my dad, and my brother that go to to football now, and that's how I love. That's how I see football. Always going with my family. Um, and being sat amongst the people that you always sat with for however long you went to Griffin Park or if you were standing. Um, and that, again, I loved. I loved the identity of the people around you. And you might not even know their names sometimes, but you just always saw their faces and you always said hello. And it was just a friendly, welcoming place. And again, that is something I'll always remember as another reason to fall in love with football at Brentford because it was such a friendly place, a real family place as well. And um yeah, I wish I could remember a game off the top of my head. There'll be loads. I mean, the Chelsea FA Cup game, which we nearly won, um, being 1-0 up and then they equalised, that was fantastic. Um, and there will be loads, beating Sunderland in the Cup. I remember, this is, I'm this is how far back I'm going. I'm now I'm just spouting rubbish now. It's all coming out. Um, I remember, this is when CFAX, when we had CFAX, and it said, um, Black Cats Stung by Bees. That was the headline. And I remember thinking, we're headline makers, you know? And you fast forward to now, and we are making loads of headlines. But at that time, it was so, you know, unbelievable that we could beat Sunderland with DJ Campbell scoring both goals. That just those little moments of making history and causing cup upsets—they, they, those were special times at Griffin Park. There's definitely a simplicity to those days compared to now, and it just seems like we're going into, you know, playing Liverpool or Spurs at home, and. Yeah. We're all in the pub before and everyone's kind of like, uh, I think we'll win today. I'm kind of expecting us to win today as well. So, I mean, that's just, that's that's the team. It shows how great it is at the moment. Absolutely, though. You're so right. And it's weird. You, you do sometimes get a feeling that actually we could turn them over. It's like the Man City game this season. Now, I didn't necessarily think we'd win, but I actually thought we might get something out of this game. And I don't even know what it was, but I had a feeling. Equally, I'm still there going up. I went to the game and I'm still thinking, Oh, how many are we going to concede? How many can we restrict them to? You have all those feelings. But but I had spoken about it a couple of times and in my day job and, and had said, I think we could get something out of this game. And likewise with Chelsea, when we beat them at Stamford Bridge last season, I thought exactly the same. We'd get something out of that game. Um, I, I don't know what it is, but there is just something about this team right now that you can't help but feel every now and then they're just going to put in a performance that's going to stun the opposition. Yeah, amazing, amazing memories, those two games you just mentioned. There is a video, we've we've already kind of talked about it a little bit, the Wembley game, but um, just wanted to talk about uh, the video that's pinned, to, I think it's pinned to your Twitter profile of yeah. you and your dad celebrating <laughs> full time. Uh, I think a lot of people, a lot of Brentford fans would say that's probably one of the best days of their lives. I know I certainly would say it's probably right up there as the best. Yeah. Um, what was that day just like for you as a whole? Oh, gosh, well, I've been up since 
half three because I was working that morning on my breakfast show that I do and it, I was just a bag of nerves in a way I wish I'd taken the day off because I just couldn't concentrate but equally in a way it was a good thing because I had in I was thinking about it constantly but I could kind of forget about it in moments um but then obviously we'd end up talking about it so the nerves would creep in once more so I finished at nine got home raced to get ready again went with my dad and my brother and it's actually the first playoff final I went into feeling a lot more optimistic than other playoffs. That's not to say, like I said, I mentioned the Stoke game, I felt like we should have won, but I just genuinely thought we could do this. We, I just felt we were better than Swansea, that I, there was just something about this team that I felt could finally break the hoodoo that's been a hideous hoodoo. And I have been to every playoff, bar the Fulham one that obviously no one really could get to. Um and like I said, this one I was more optimistic about than any of them. But equally, you go into it thinking, but this is Brentford, isn't it? So you can never be 100% assured that they're going to get the job done. But like I say, you know, to score as early as we did, that kind of rested a lot of our nerves, I think. And after that, I think it was really comfortable. And, and it was quite a one-sided game, I thought. Um, we thoroughly, thoroughly deserved to win it and, and go up. So, yeah, weirdly, I was quite calm. I think one in Wembley it helped that I've had a few drinks as well so that really did calm the nerves but um it was good it was like I say I mean what what a day for us all to to remember and be a part of and um yeah and that that moment with my dad he was crying and like I say it's a weird thing because he's not like he was brought up as a Brentford fan but he never thought in his lifetime that he would see Brentford go up he always hoped but always thought like we all do now oh it's Brentford we're not going to do it but he the emotions then came over him and he did start crying a little bit and yeah so it was just a lovely occasion to always remember I'm surprised you managed to stay as calm I was a I was an absolute nervous wreck the whole day from start I didn't even believe even when it got to like 90 minutes I was still thinking to myself we can still fuck this up (laughs) absolutely I still had that as well don't get me wrong because I kept thinking but this is us this is Brentford we we always end up in a position where we think we're going to get the job done and it goes wrong. But I just, I don't know what it was about Swansea. I just felt on the, on the day, I just thought we were a lot better and we'll, we'll beat them. But I don't know, there was nervy moments. And just before we scored the second, obviously they were on the attack and you were thinking, oh no, oh my God, this is the turnaround. Um, but I, I just felt, I don't know what it was. I just didn't feel as much pressure on this one like I'd seen and felt in others. Maybe it's because I've had so much heartache when it's come to playoffs, that maybe this one, I just felt a little bit more relief going. I don't know why. I can't even say why. But like the previous season with Fulham, I just hated every second of it. And I couldn't watch the end. I just I just was like, no, I can't watch this anymore. Even then, obviously, I missed loads of important moments in the game. But I just couldn't deal with it because I knew it wasn't going to go to play. I just felt like that was not going to work, that game. That, that, that whole day did not feel right to me. Whereas the Swansea day and playoff final felt very differently. Weird. I don't know why you... I, I kind of felt the same, actually. I think compared to the Fulham year, it was maybe because I knew we were going to be in the stadium, and especially after experience the Bournemouth game, where I think if the fans weren't in the stadium that day, I don't think we would have turned it around like we did. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. after watching on iFollow for a whole year, actually being in the stadium and feeling like you actually could do something to help the team, I think made yeah. me certainly a lot more confident that day. Yeah, I agree. I, and I, that's where I think Thomas Frank was really key, but going around the stadium beforehand in that Bournemouth game. I mean, I was quite lucky to have gone into a few of the games during COVID. I was working 
and it was such a weird vibe very weird atmosphere it always felt like training games and never and you know you're playing a whole season type thing and it, it never felt normal um and there were times that even as 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 I'm there sort of working I could I sort of switched off even though it's my team because it didn't feel real so yeah to have the fans back obviously was so important and um yeah that bought again I mean that Bournemouth game will always live long in the memory because it was incredible to be one nil down for the first leg then two nil down again you're sort of thinking how are we going to turn this one around and yet we did and it was it was brilliant another brilliant game and we're just very fortunate as Brentford fans right now to just constantly be ticking off like lots of things that we're achieving it's just it's incredible it's really amazing to be a Brentford fan right now just to um kind of touch on what Tiaz was mentioned there but maybe kind of to the opposite uh, mm. still to our benefit I kind of have this this working theory that in that the kind of two seasons where we did play behind closed doors and as rubbish as it was for our spectators um something we kind of might struggle with a bit was kind of those big away games especially going up north cold big stadium kind of playing those games in an empty stadium, I felt kind of watching it uh, on iPhone, like TS says, we kind of, we played more like we did at home and that was an advantage and that was kind of maybe the reason that we kind of pushed on to looking towards the top two instead of the top six. Is that something maybe you gauge? I, I don't know if you did any away games when you were working for the club at that time. Um, no, I didn't, but I do know what you mean. It became more of an equal footing, didn't it? You know, if you're... I mean, listen, Ellen Road is always an intimidating place to go to. So if you're going there with no fans, it does become more of a 50-50 kind of outing, really. Um, I, I mean, the fans will always be that 12th, 12th person, won't they? Um, we've seen it at Ellen Road. We've seen it at the city ground this season. They're really turning it around at home. Their, their form is fantastic for Nottingham Forest. You look at uh, Everton, I know what's happening right now with Everton's not great, but at times the atmosphere that they create there, I mean, last season when we went there for the, the league game, I, I've never been to a ground and felt so concerned and not that I thought anything was going to happen, obviously, but just in terms of thinking, wow, they have made this place so intimidating. Now, obviously the game itself backfired on them eventually, but it, and, and the, sad, the problem for Everton was, is that they backed their team up until the point where the game started to turn. And then they started to turn on their own team, which was obviously not beneficial for them, unfortunately. But um, I totally agree with you. During those COVID times when there were pretty much no fans in, in stadiums, or certainly normal fans, let's say working fans there might have been, um, yeah, it became completely an equal footing for a lot of a lot of teams. And... Um, just unfortunate we didn't go up that time. But could you imagine if we had gone up and then had a season in the Premier League where we weren't there? It would have been absolutely awful. So it all feels as though it was like destiny for the way it was meant to happen for us. Yeah, it's yeah. I think it's a blessing. Um, yeah, it wouldn't have been too fun to have that first season. Watch yeah. it on a teddy. Yeah, exactly. And and even not and to miss out on the playoff final, we can't. You know, we can all sit here and talk about our day out and you know how we all felt that day and had we not all been able to go then we'd all be sitting here saying yeah I was just at home made a cup of tea that type of thing you know it's not the same so I think it was I look back at it now and think we had to go through that heartache to now enjoy what we're going through now yeah exactly I mean that season we lost to Fulham uh we got to the Carabao Cup semi-final and no no one remembers that because you just watched it on telly no, absolutely. Um, absolutely. And what a shame that was, again, that we weren't all there to see the victory over Newcastle and things like that. But exactly. um, yeah, 
but it all happens for a reason. That's what I think anyway. Well, that's how I put it in my head. So like we can all reap the benefits of it now. Just away from sort of on the pitch matters, I did kind of want to maybe get some insight into um, Matthew Benham. I don't know if you've ever met him. Um, have you? Yeah. yeah. I just wanted to know what he's like, just genuine curiosity. I've always wondered. He's a, um, he's a very shy person. Um, I mean, I like, I'm, obviously you all have seen him, you know what he looks like and he's very unassuming. You wouldn't think of him being this multi-millionaire that owns a football club. He's doesn't, he's not walking around all flashy. Um, and he's very, so where I happen to sit in the stadium is actually near his box. So we do see him quite a lot. And he is, like I say, he's very quiet, even within his box. You're not seeing him jump up and down wildly and ecstatically. But he, that's because he, in a way, he doesn't want the spotlight on him. So you remember we used to sing songs about him. Now he doesn't want us to sing songs about him because in his eyes, yes, okay, he's funded our success. But really the success comes from Thomas and, and the team that's doing it week in, week out. So he, you know, as much as he is our saviour, and he really is when you think about going back to the Bees United days and taking over and saving us from what could have been an awful, awful period for us, he was part of all of that. He was the one sort of secretly being a benefactor for the for Bees United to ensure that we had a future. And, um, yeah, he's, like I say, I've met him a few times. He is quite shy. I do remember the only time... I've ever hosted a Brentford Awards and he came to, um, I had to interview him and he came up onto the stage and <laughs> I had these little cue cards and he literally just picked them up and went, so you're going to ask me. And he just whittled through every single question. Didn't answer them, but just said that, said the questions. And I was like, okay, thanks, Matthew. That's great. Can we actually now ask those questions? So, you know, he's a little bit funny like that, but I mean, my goodness, what he's done for us. Oh, uh, they'll one day they'll have to be something named after him or I don't know because he has just been absolutely incredible and the best thing about it is he's is he's a fan you know so he, what we enjoy he enjoys because he's a fan it's not like he's just bought into a club which you find with a lot of um teams nowadays it's not manufactured it's all it all comes from his heart and I think that's marvelous as well that we're we're very fortunate to have an owner who is as forward thinking as he is but is also a fan. Yeah, I think sort of a lot of people kind of, I know everyone says this about their club, but I really feel like Brentford is a is a different club. And I think the, one of the main reasons for that is because the owner, Matthew Benham, is so connected with the club and he's a fan. I think you kind of hear pundits mention the connection between the fans and the players and the managers when they, when they cover Brentford games. Um, I see the things going on at Everton, you mentioned it earlier, and I couldn't imagine a world where that kind of thing happens at Brentford. Certainly while Benham while Benham's here. Um, what do you think it is about the club that kind of inspires that kind of connection between the fans? Um, gosh, that's a good question. I mean, I think a lot of it comes from the fact that we are, and maybe we should stop thinking like this, but the fact that, and I know we do it in a humorous way, but we refer to ourselves as bus stop in Hounslow. We sort of see ourselves as this little club and then, and therefore we have that little club mentality. So we all club together because it's like a David Goliath thing, isn't it? We're always trying to upset the odds and we're always trying to cause the shocks because the only way we can do that is, and I know it's a thing that's been said many a time by Brentford, but is to always outthink the opponent because we can't outspend them, but we'll outthink them. We have to, that's the only way. And I think all of that we've all bought into 
Now, I think it might have taken time because if you go back to when Mark Warburton was, it was announced that he was leaving, the shock and the ripples that caused, obviously, I totally understand it because that was our first season in the championship and he was guiding us to the playoffs. And you're thinking, how can he be leaving when we're in such a good state? But again, that's because there was this forward thinking, there was a plan that Matthew wanted that now I think we've all just seeming, seamlessly bought into and we're now knowing that we're on this incredible journey and we have to back this process. You know, it's a bit like Arsenal and Arteta, you've got to back it. And that's what we've been doing. We just haven't used the terms of backing the process. So um, I think we've always been a small club. We've always, but we've been punching above our weight for a little while. And I think, again, that has just brought us all together. And I, like I mentioned before, we're also a family club where a club that wants to bring in new people and new fans and wants to encourage the new generation to come through. And I just think all of these things tally up together to make us what is a very unique club to support. 100% agree. Um, a lot of people obviously will recognise you from the Brentford YouTube channel. Uh, you co-host a pre-match show with Stuart Wakeford, amongst the host of other things that you've done with the club. Just wanted to know, out of curiosity, how did that hosting role come about? Um, which I think spans all the way back to sort of the championship days or the early championship days, right? Yeah. Uh, I mean, you could probably go back a tiny bit further. It might have been even League One days. I'm trying to think now. Um, I mean, I've so obviously I worked in TV for a long time. Um, worked on Sky Sports News, and and through that, I got to know people at Brentford. Um, and that's how I eventually ended up hosting end of season awards, and I got involved with the community trust, doing stuff for them. And it's just through that really, and. Stuart Wakeford I used to work with at Sky he used to work at Soccer AM so he was someone we'd always share little messages between each other when it came to Brentford and um and it was just I don't know really in all fairness I don't know how the the pre-match pint came about but I was again very just very fortunate that they asked me to get involved and when you're a fan you're just desperate to do anything for the club aren't you so we were very fortunate last time around that we had Ethan Pinnock on and you know, as soon as they they say, you know, oh, we've got a player coming and I'm like, clear the diary. I'm in. I don't care. I'm there. Um, and a bit like when we had Thomas Frank at the end of last season, there are just certain people you just want to chat to and you want to be a part of and very fortunate to have that access. And um, yeah, it, like I said, I always help out the club because it's just a joy um, and to talk about a passion like it is of ours. It's I'm very fortunate, I must say. Um, you mentioned Thomas Frank there. I guess it's quite a simple question. Does he come across as nice uh, as he does in all his media interviews? Is he as genuine as as lovely as I'm sure he is? I mean, I love him. I actually love him. <laughs> uh, yeah, he's so lovely. I mean, I get, I mean, I only know the Thomas Frank Brentford manager, so I don't know him personally, if you like. But I have been fortunate to be in a work setting. I have, don't get me wrong, I've been fortunate to enjoy a few drinks with Thomas as well. And he's absolutely charming and lovely. Um, and do you know what? He he has an aura about him. I've spoken about this with a few other people. When you're in his presence, you just can't help but feel drawn to him. It sounds really weird. I'm, I, I'm, I'm not sure. Of it. I, sh I don't want Thomas to be hearing this because it sounds so fangirl. But um, it really is. There's just something about him. He just draws you in and... He's very charismatic. Um, you know, he's, I remember the, one of the first times I met him properly and I'd said to him, oh, you must come on Talk Sport. We'd love to have you on. And the first thing he said was, am I allowed to swear? 
I was like, no, Thomas, you can't swear. You're not allowed to swear around brawl, you know. And he was like, oh, right. And I, that, it kind of gave me into an insight into his character that he's obviously quite an easygoing, just says what how he feels, you know. And I know we've seen that in some of his interviews that he's done on Sky, for example, after matches. Um, but honestly, he, yeah, he is as lovely as he comes across. I, und- I do understand that other teams... Uh, don't like him because some of the things that he said, you know, with Leeds, for example, the season we didn't go up. But um, but I think as our as us to have him as our manager, as our head coach, gosh, we're so lucky because he just loves us as well. That's how our, that's the impression I'm given by him. He loves us just as much as we love him. Yeah, we've had some discussion over the last few months about kind of the interest obviously that there would be in him and kind of we've seen stuff swirling about about Everton if it's yeah. true who knows um what what do you think what do you think could pull him away from the club as you say he, he loves the club we know that um but everyone's got ambitions like what would what do you think it would take for him to consider it well I had a, I had this discussion with him at the end of last season where I was um it was actually after the Brentford end of season awards and everything had shut down you know we weren't doing any everyone was filling out and he came over to me and we we're just chatting and and I again turned into a fangirl and I was like I just don't want you to leave Thomas and he said well why would I leave everything is great here why would I want to leave I'm very happy here I believe in what we're doing and I think there's m- much much more that I can do with this club as well he said but and he was very honest he said but if a top four club came in for me that would be different but he then he said but a top four club's not going to come in for me so that kind of gave me a weird reassurance. Now, I know it, look, anything can happen in football. We know that. And he could have just said that to placate me. But I do, I sort of genuinely believed him. I think he loves it here. He knows that he's onto a good thing. This is his club, really. And any, if he goes anywhere else, it, it would take time to rebuild a club and to make it his own, which a club may well afford him that. But Everton, I can't see them affording that. If if he was get to get off to a bad start, he'd lose the fans very quickly, I'm sure. Likewise with a top four club, you've got to hit the ground running. You haven't got time in, in any other club, really. Um, so I say all of this in hope that he's not tempted, but I genuinely believe that he's onto a good thing with us. And don't get me wrong, I think Everton's a wonderful club. I've got friends that support it. I'm very fortunate to go up there a few times last season. Um, but I just don't, think that would be the right fit for him certainly not in this situation anyway that they find themselves in that's quite reassuring you say that because the only one I can think of at the moment that in my mind would make sense would be if Klopp were to leave Liverpool I could kind of see Frank going there but I say it's reassuring because they're not a top four club currently and we're also (laughs) above them so I think we've got him for a while that means yeah yeah I I totally agree The, the other thing of course is and again it's so awful to say it and it's a good thing for us, but is he fashionable enough for a Liverpool or a Man United? Or and, and I mean, obviously, I'm just bringing names in. I know they're not necessarily getting rid of their managers, but you know, I just don't know if he is fashionable enough for them. Is he a big enough name? Now we all know what he can do and what he's done for us. And I do believe that if he was to go on, I'd love to think he would be a success. But I, I just don't know. I'm not sure what top four club would want to take the risk on him. I know it sounds awful because I just genuinely think he's brilliant. And actually, in previous uh, times that clubs have have sacked a manager, I've always thought, why has Thomas Frank's name not been linked? He's done such a great job for us. 
equally I'm relieved that he's he's not been linked. But actually, when there has been recently, it's been Aston Villa and it's been Everton, two clubs that I'm not sure necessarily, well, maybe Villa now, but at that time, I just thought, oh, I don't know if he'd really want to jump ship to those clubs in their predicament at, the, at that time. So, yeah, I kind of feel like we should be reassured, but I'm always with, I, I have a say it with the caveat of, but this is football, so you never know what could happen. Just just want to go back to what you said about Thomas Frank having that kind of aura. I do know exactly what you mean. Um, I've I've been going to the sort of Brentford press conferences um, as part of my uni course. Um, oh, so and cool. I know, yeah, I know what you mean. He kind of, he commands a kind of presence and he's he's the perfect manager you want to interview in a press conference because he doesn't give monotonous answers Mm. he'll make everyone laugh he'll give he'll give serious he'll give serious answers and then go back to being funny like he's brilliant um just i hope he stays i like you like yourself i hope he stays at the club for as long as possible um i did just want to go back to, to to your appearances on the club youtube channel there was one that i was watching the other day i watched it when it came out a few years ago um but this one specifically, I bet you'll have a few stories from that you might be able to say on the pod, might have to say after, I don't know. Um, <laughs> but I'm talking about the 2016 end of season awards. And there's a part where you interview a table with Sam Saunders, Harley Dean, Alan Judge, yeah. Alan McCormack. Um, whatever anyone makes of Harley Dean, uh, I, can, <laughs> I, can, I can speak for a lot of people when I say that that bunch of players definitely had a great connection with the fans. Definitely Alan McCormack, uh, Lassa Vibe, Alan Judge, etc. Um, where does that squad of players rank for you, like in terms of sort of personalities? Oh, they're right up there, right up there. They, I mean, they were just a great bunch of lads. Um, I mean, Harley Dean and you can bring in Adam Forshaw and Jake Bidwell. They all came on loan originally, didn't they? And they came at roughly the same time. And they they were just these young boys looking to make their mark in football and you know, it's so wonderful to see what these guys have now gone on to achieve. Um, I know Harley Dean has upset people with some of the comments that he made when he moved to Birmingham, but I genuinely don't think he meant it in such a disparaging way. I think he was just trying to get a connection with his new club. Um, And he's a really lovely guy. So I will back him to the hilt on that, as I will with all of them, because they are such lovely guys. That that sort of era of all of those players... um, they were just a really tight knit group. They were so friendly. They would go out all the time in terms of when they were allowed to go out. Um, but they would socialize really well together and they'd socialize, socialize with the fans. You know, some of the pubs around here were in Brentford. They would be in and you as a fan could just mix happily with them. And they had no problem with that. Um, now it's not to say that, you know, these, the latest squad wouldn't do the same, but, it's just very different now, isn't it? When you jump up to the Premier League, it just becomes a whole different ball game, and they don't all live around here. And they all, uh, whereas they did back then, a lot of them did live around Brentford, so it was quite easy for them all to meet meet up quite easily. Um, but no, I I would say in terms of even for me having a rapport, they were the that's the best time I've had with with those players. Um, and yeah, a great bunch. Um, I mean, my favourite ever player in terms of just who he is as I absolutely adore him as Stuart Dallas what a lovely fella and I'm so chuffed for him to have made the career that he's made you know he came to Brentford from Northern Ireland I remember going out on a night out and um he was we were in this club and there was loads of us around and he was just sat on his own like sat 
on like a, um, it was like a, not like a bench, but I'm, I'm trying to think of how you would refer to it, but it was like a seat where he was sat on top of it. And so I just went and sat next to him and just started chatting to, away to him, thinking this poor boy is all on his own, come from Northern Ireland, uh, into the bright lights of London, um, you know, and he, he is a special boy. I've always, I've always felt very fondly of, uh, about him. Um, but yeah, a cracking group of lads, absolutely cracking. And even now, what's really nice actually is even now, they all meet up every now and then, which I think is lovely. Just just goes to show that connection that they all still have. They're still mates, even though at times they might be rivals. But I love it. They're a nice bunch. I'm not. I'm not sure many Brentford fans would have forgiven Stuart Dallas for that for that video that he that he made with Liam Cooper after Leeds got yeah. promoted. Yeah, I, I do. I do get that. Of course, they do. Um, but I mean, I'm I'm happy to put. I can put it to one side. I was very angry. Don't get me wrong. I was angry when that video came out. I was livid with him. Um, but do you know what? There are worse things that can be done and, and said as well. So I, I can move on from that. Um, but I get it. I get it. If people don't like him, that's fine. That's your prerogative. Uh, I just, yeah, as a person, I just really like him. So I'm, I'm glowing, talking glowingly of him and of, of Thomas Frank. I sound like a, a bleeding stalker. That's what I sound like. <laughs> I was just gonna. I was just thinking when you mentioned how um that kind of old group of players that you'd find them in the pub around Brentford. If I don't know, say there's three players from the current squad that if you went down to the Griffin on a Saturday after the game, or maybe last game of the season, who who are you backing to be in that pub? Oh, am I backing to be in that pub? Gosh, I don't. You see, I, this is the thing. I have no idea about this current squad. Um, I can only relate maybe to the 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 t- couple of times that I've been it, so the end of season last season there was a mini celebration in the stadium and obviously there was a celebration after the playoff final um there was there was a fair few players that weren't there uh, certainly last season um so for example like Christian Eriksen wasn't there so he didn't turn up there. a lot of the Scandinavians actually weren't there but I mean Ivan Tony was front and center enjoying himself why not absolutely so probably I'd, maybe Ivan Tony would be there um gosh who else that's a really Pontus maybe Pontus well again so I, again like I, he wasn't there at the end of the last season celebration mm. um no don't get me wrong P- players may have plans already made so they can't make these things um he certainly wasn't there um I'm trying to think that is a really good question um, yeah, I have heard stories of uh players kind of if they know their last game of the season there's not much riding on it that they literally book a flight absolutely the game and they're straight away gone. absolutely um especially if yeah if you're not needed for anything although most I th- yeah most players i think yeah i mean actually you could well be right i'm trying to think that there used to be a time where they might have said look you need to come in for the next couple of days and then after that you jet off but i don't actually know what happened that time um i was about to say maybe ben Nee. i imagine yeah. ben Nee would be a really sociable guy um i mean i know he loves his gigs and things like that so I'm sure if it was like, Ben, come down and then we'll all go to a gig, he'd be there. So, um, yeah. yeah, maybe Ben Me and I don't, I don't, do you know what I'm trying to think? Yeah, Ben, I could picture Ben Me like sat in the corner with an IPA chatting about the environment. <laughs> Absolutely. I think yeah. he'd love that. Um, yeah, I'm trying to think who the third person would be. It's a really good question. I feel like I don't know the personalities of these players well enough, really, to kind of judge it. But, who I'd love to be with. I mean, obviously, Ivan Tony would be fantastic to just be around. I think he has an aura about him. Um, I'd love to actually be in the company of Pontus Janssen just to have a good old chinwag with him. 
Um, and I do think Ben Mee is fascinating, actually. Mm. So he probably would be amongst it as well. But I'm not entirely sure. Do you know, Sergi Camus has always been a bit of a... I'm trying to remember back to the couple of celebrations that we've had. And he's always been a bit of a late a late goer, I think. I might <laughs> be wrong. Um, but yeah, I think they're, all, they're a nice bunch of guys. Uh, I just don't know them as well, unfortunately, as the, the sort of squad that we were talking about. Yeah, of about. course. Just uh, go, going back to the to previous group of players, out of that squad, who should we try and get on the podcast? Um, oh. Off the top of my head, I can think of Sam Saunders as, as the immediate mm-hmm. as the immediate candidate. Yeah, uh, sounds great. Sam is uh, it's kind of exactly what you you know him as. He's that cheeky Sam Saunders. Um, gosh, I mean, loads of them would want to. Alan McCormack, likewise, a lot of fun. Um, Sometimes the problem you might get is I always like you, you went back to that when you were talking about that awards do and um, uh, I was going around the tables with a mic and interviewing some of the players that we wouldn't have normally heard from because they weren't unfortunately at that time winning awards. And I remember I was chatting to Sam Saunders in that interview and what you might not see is that during that interview, Alan McCormack is is doing things to um, Sam Saunders that isn't appropriate on camera. And so I then turn to Alan McCormack and I start interviewing him and he becomes very bland. And that's where I say, you know, you're more fun off camera basically than on it or whatever it was, or you're boring on the mic or something like that. Um, Because he just completely switched. You'd gone from this really fun, I say fun, causing all sorts of mayhem behind the scenes to suddenly very professional. Um, So he might be professional, but equally he might not. But do you know what you should do, which I don't know how it works on something like this, is get a few of them together. Get a few together in a pub with a few drinks and then you're off, off and running. And they they hopefully will tell you gems of stories. Um, I always think there's room for things like that. Players love to get back. They love it. They love reminiscing over their careers and, and stuff like that. So, yeah, someone like an Alan McCormack, a Sam Saunders. I probably should throw in Jonathan Douglas. Because that would be remiss of me to not mention him. But those three would absolutely love it. They'd get on like a house on fire and they just, you know, you'd only need literally prod them once and the stories would flow. Sounds good. I'm going to try and uh, pull some strings. Just to (laughs) wrap up the chat about uh, Brentford, just for now, realistic expectations, ambitions for Brentford in the next five, ten years? Oh. Goodness me. I mean, I'm already convinced I've got my passport ready for next season. You know, surely we're going on a European adventure. Um, I Oh, what would I love? Of course, the basics would be just to establish ourselves as a regular Premier League team. I'd be absolutely delighted with that. Um, The funny thing with this season is because we've already caused a lot of shocks, you're now going into games like we did against Leeds and like we will do and Bournemouth and maybe against Southampton expecting we should be beating these teams because we've already beaten Man City, we've already beaten Man United, we've already beaten Liverpool, so we should be beating all these teams, um, which I know doesn't work quite like that. Uh, But that's the problem. We have this now instant expectation on our team. So, like I say, my minimum is just just be a Premier League team, establish ourselves and just be a team that regularly competes and, and isn't, you know, we that that basically every time we take on a so-called big six side or whatever it is, that we will actually give them a game. We don't have to beat them every time, but at least we come away going, that was a terrific game. Like the Chelsea game last season at home where we lost 1-0, but we were so good. And how we didn't win it, I don't know. Well, I do know Edward Mendy. Um, But, you know, that kind of thing. Like, you just want to constantly compete and constantly having people talk about how great we are. Um, 
So that would be my minimum. Obviously, it'd be amazing to have some European adventure at some point. Um, I don't know. I don't. I don't necessarily. I'd love it. I'd love it. Of course, it'd be amazing if that happened this year and we booked it for next year as such. But I'm not sure that will happen. But I'm absolutely loving the ride right now. So we should just enjoy it all. Hundred percent. It's been it's been absolutely brilliant these last these last few years, and uh, long may it continue. I did just want to talk a little bit about sort of <clears throat> outside of Brentford, your career in sports journalism. Um, if that's okay, if we're not taking up too much of your time. Um, no, I'm a big fan of your talk sports show with Tony Cascarino, who usually only has good things to say about Brentford whenever I watch a clip of him uh, talking about us. Uh, obviously, media coverage surrounding football, traditionally dominated by the big six, probably mm-hmm. rightly so. But um, Brentford starting to generate a lot of noise in the media world. Um, and it seems like you talk about Brentford on your show quite a lot, obviously being a, being a Brentford fan. <laughs> and what, what's it like sort of talking about talking about your club on, on radio? Um, in the main, it's great because in the main, it's going well. So you can't complain about that at all. Um, it's never great when you have to go in and they've lost. That's not fun. Um, and depending on who they've lost to, sometimes that can be a big talk talking point because if it's if it's an Arsenal or if it's a Man City or whoever it is that we may have lost to, then that's because they're going really well in the Premier League and they're going to win the title, all this sort of stuff. Um, so it's never great to talk about a team losing. But in general, it's great because, like we've said and been talking about already, you know, the trajectory, this upward trajectory that we've been on, it's just amazing. So, yeah, Cass does like to talk very positively about us, which is great. Um he loves Thomas Frank. He actually was saying to me that he felt Chelsea should have gone for Thomas Frank rather than Graham Potter. Um, I know I was a little bit alarmed when he mentioned that, but thankfully they've already got Potter. So, um, but he was like, they've, they've missed, they've missed the boat with that one. He felt like Thomas Frank's football was just better for Chelsea than what Graham Potter's was at Brighton or, or certainly what he was seeing right now at Chelsea. So, um, but again, Frank was never in the running or never seemed to be in the running for that one. Um, so yeah, it's it's wonderful. What can I say? I'm very fortunate to work in an industry where it's my passion, uh, where I'm a fan of a club that happens to be doing quite well. Um, and we are occasionally causing headlines and making headlines. And um, the only thing that annoys me is occasionally, like the Man City result this season, I saw some of the headlines were... Um, uh, we'd stolen a stolen the victory or it, that kind of that kind of um way that people were describing us and i was thinking no that that's clearly not how the game went because we were in control of that game for most of it i felt you know from the off we were like wow we have taken this game to man city rather than what i expected us to do which was sit back and soak up pressure and hope we counter but that wasn't what we saw and so for when i was seeing headlines that i felt were completely wrong and skewed that annoys me. So I get on a bit of high horse about that because I'm like, no, no, not only do we deserve the win, you know, it's that sort of thing. So, um, yeah, what can I say? I'm, like I say, I'm very fortunate to work in this industry. So I, 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 this might be a difficult question. I don't know. Um, sometimes I kind of listen to TalkSport and think, wow, this is great, great debate with some fascinating insight from ex-pros and other people involved in the game. There's also other times, though, where I think the complete opposite Um, I think kind of especially recently there's been a sort of shift towards content that gets clicks and sometimes that can be at the expense of actual insight into the game Um, I must say that's not it's never Tony Cascarino normally he's bang on the money (laughs) Um, but there are others Uh, Jamie O'Hara would would spring to mind you recently had a a sort of a debate with him about Southgate's uh, future at England what would you what would you say to that kind of that kind of rhetoric 
I think there, in all honesty, I think there would have been a time, and I'm I'm going back a while where Talksport might have tried to manufacture and generate debate, which might have been really opposing views. So therefore, that does lead to your click, your clicks on on social media because they're so opposing. But honestly, like a lot of the discussions that we have are general, organic or discussions. So that thing, that that moment I had with Jamie O'Hara. I was just in complete disagreement with him and could not understand his viewpoint at all. And and he was strong. I mean, he was so strong in his view that a club manager is the same as an international manager. And I just was like, how can it be the same? In my eyes, it's not. Now, you, everyone's entitled to their opinion. And of course, you, you might agree, you might disagree. But th- that became quite a, a moment where I was just like, how is he getting this so wrong? I just couldn't understand it in my head. Um, but... <clears throat> Don't worry. <laughs> but it was just, it was, I, I know there are some people on TalkSpot that are Marmite. I get it. Um, and I know Jamie Blessing is one of one of them. I don't know if he genuinely thinks it or not sometimes. I honestly don't know. But it's, sometimes it's good content. So it works for us. But I promise you, in terms of, are we planning it? No, we're not sitting there going, you say that and you say that and we hope we clash. Because I actually, always, I've always said I'm never going to do that. Because if I don't believe in it, I can't truthfully back that argument, and I won't give it the justice you want it to, you know, to be given. So most of it, from my angle, will always be organic, as it would be with Cass um, and the majority of them. Like I say, I don't know about most of them, but a lot of them do genuinely think, you know, like what Jamie thought. You know, Southgate, or, or sorry, a club manager is the same as an international manager, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And that's, you know that's fine um but the, of course lots of things gets clipped up and put on social media we have no say on that and the annoying thing about that is that sometimes they only clip a small part and you're like but you've forgotten the bit where i was really good where i said this bit rather than the bit that's going to cause me lots of strife on twitter um but hey it's fine it's it's what we do and it is a great place to work so i can't grumble really I think a, a lot of people would be curious to know about your route into the journalism industry. Um, especially myself as a young journalist, I'm I'm really interested. So it, I, you studied in Leeds, if I'm I did. right. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I was in Leeds. Well, I was there for four years. Eventually, I did a three-year course, stayed on for another year, and I actually worked for uh, a website called Team Talk, um, who had a, a brief foray into radio, but it was very brief. It didn't last very long, unfortunately, as a station. Um, and then I was just very fortunate. I had done work experience at Sky as well, but I was very fortunate to have a contact at Sky and uh, at Sky Sports News, who I, in all fairness, and this is something I always say to people, that unfortunately a lot of our industry is about who you know. Once you have a contact, you just hammer that contact. Now, I say hammer. It's not every day. It's not to the point where they're going to block you, but it's to the point where maybe once a month you just get back in touch and say hi, you know, whatever it is you, you, you're trying to get across. And I was, again, very fortunate to know that this particular person was a Spurs fan, so I'd put in a bit, a bit of Spurs every now and then just so they knew I was across it all. Um, and it was it was basically through that. I just kept messaging and emailing this this person who eventually got me down for a job, and and that was it. The rest is history. I, well, the rest is history. I, I started off as a runner, making all the teas and coffees and everything like that, and being told, can you take this here, take that there, etc. And um, it kind of just worked my way up to become a presenter at Sky Sports News and did that for 
well, I was there all in all 16 and a half years. So a long old time, but very different jobs within that time. But um, as I say, eventually ending up as a, as a presenter there. So it's funny you say you start as a runner. I mean, and Tiaz, we can take this out if you don't want to listen to the podcast, but Tiaz is about to start uh, as a runner on a set of a TV programme tomorrow. So, you know, Ooh. what's your number one tip how to be a good runner? Uh, um, well, make a good tea and coffee for a good start. That's, that's a great start. Um, I think just be enthusiastic and be willing to go the extra mile if needs be. I mean, I absolutely loved being a runner. I was a runner probably for too long. I think I was a runner for about two, two and a half years, and most runners do it for about a year, but I was quite happy. So I never tried to do any other, I didn't want another job at Sky. I was very happy at the time, and I was living with my parents, so I wasn't paying any rent. I was very fortunate. Um, and yeah, I would just say, just go in with, knowing that, yes, you're going to be asked to do some tasks that you'll, you'll be thinking, oh, okay, that's quite menial, but it's just a great way in and just be friendly and, um, and just willing to do everything. And, and eventually, hopefully that either leads to something permanent or, you know, you move up to do whatever else you want to do within that, that area of, of TV. But, um, I think it's a great way to get in because you also earn the respect of everybody because they'll see that you've worked your way up. So I would say love it because I did. I'm practicing my teas and coffees long into the night <laughs> at the moment. Don't worry. <laughs> oh, you'll be fine. I'm sure. And they, might all, they might have one of those machines where it's already done for you. So it'll be all done and dusted. It'd be very simple. I mean, I literally took it to mean I would, I would run everywhere as well because I wanted to be quick. I was like, I've got to get back. I've got to impress. So, I would be running everywhere. So it kept me really fit for a very long time. Um, so, you know, there's lots of benefits to being a runner. Cool. I think um, sort of in the interest of time, I think we will just start to wrap this up. We have been having a good old natter for, for the best part of an hour now. Um, but I will end with some quick fire questions because it wouldn't be a podcast without some quick fire questions, if that's okay. And yeah. then um, and then we could maybe get that funny story that you were thinking about or that you were supposed to be thinking about. <laughs> So, quick fire questions. Right. Favourite Brentford game ever? Oh, Championship playoff final, without a doubt. Worst Brentford game? Ooh. Oh, that's a hard one. Worst Brentford game. The problem is that we've been on such highs that it's so difficult to think. Probably I'll go back to that Stoke playoff final because I just felt like we should have won it. Favourite current Brentford player at the moment? So that's another tough one because so many of them are doing brilliant things. But actually, if I go for Mr. Consistent, I'm going to say Ben Mee. Favourite ever Brentford player? Dean Holdsworth. He just scored goals for fun. <laughs> I think that was a bit before our time, to be fair. Um, yeah, yeah, probably. <laughs> Favourite ever Brentford manager? Oh, um, oh, that's that's a really good question. I mean, I, I, oh, I mean, I'm gonna have to say Thomas Frank because I love him. I've said it, I've declared it already, so it has to be Thomas Frank. Correct answer. <laughs> uh, favorite goal witnessed live? Oh, goal. Um, maybe. Oh, gosh, again, so many good ones, but my memory is so bad for things like this. I might have to say, um, most recently, Weiss's overhead kick against. Oldham, was it? Yeah, in the cup. That was a pretty decent one. Yeah, that was. Uh, game you look forward to the most in the football calendar? Ooh. Uh, ooh. 
Oh gosh, and these are meant to be quick fire, but they are not quick fire for me. I have to really think about them. Can I say the ones I don't look forward to? I don't look forward to Leeds. I don't look forward to Fulham. I don't look forward to uh no, do you know what? Uh Liverpool. I really look forward to Liverpool. Um partly because my boyfriend supports Liverpool. So our and our recent performances against them have been quite exciting. So it's quite nice to be the side that's got the upper hand, shall we say. Mm. This one might get you into trouble. Favourite colleague at TalkSport? Oh, Cass. That's without doubt. Cass is brilliant. He's honestly, like, he is one of the most generous people in terms of everything I'm talking about with his heart, with his kindness, with his um, money. I mean, he's always buying everyone coffees. And, and when we go out for team social events, he's always like, I'll get it. I'll pay, pay for this. He's just a very kind-hearted, generous man. I won't ask you the reverse of that question. Uh, just to... <laughs> Awkward chat. <laughs> uh, final question. Will Brentford play in the Champions League in the next five years? Oh, in the next five years. Oh, I'm going to say no. Not because I don't want us to. I just think it's really hard to break the mould. Um, I'd love us to. And, and maybe I'm doing reverse psychology. That's what I'm doing. I'm doing reverse psychology. But I do think we could... I'm not saying we can't get sixth or seventh and get a European adventure that way. I'm just not sure Champions League just yet. That, that's our way in. We get into the Europa League and then we win the Europa yeah. League and then we get oh. Champions League. We don't need to finish top four. Exactly. Imagine if we stunned everyone and we won the Europa. Oh my God, that would be amazing. That would. I'd much rather get get into the Champions League that way than just get the top four. I know. It, well, oh. I love it. Yes, that's brilliant. I love that. <laughs> if, if West Ham likes to do it, we're better than them. So, I mean, there you go. There anything's you go. possible. Exactly. <laughs> uh, Natalie, do you have do you have the funniest Brentford story? I feel like I, I'm going to let you down here because I can't think <laughs> of a story. And that's Did really you? rubbish because there will have been loads. But I'm trying to think. I mean, I've, I've, what have I done? I've. I mean, I've been on Soccer AM and embarrassed myself in a Brentford shirt many a time. The first ever outing I ever had on Soccer. I mean, it's not funny, it's cringe. Um, but I I was doing work experience at Sky and while I was at university. And I was happy, I happened to work next to Soccer AM when Tim Lovejoy was presenting it. And this was at a time where you could still write in to be a Soccer AM, but I don't know why. He just always kept saying to me, why don't you be a soccerette? Why don't you be a soccerette? And I was just like, no, no, I'm not interested. Not interested. I made the fatal error of telling my dad, oh, Tim Lovejoy said I should be a soccerette. That was it. I never heard the end of it. My dad was like, you must do this. This is going to, he, he thought it would be groundbreaking and I'd, you know, spawn a career off being a soccerette, I think. But anyway, um, so I was like, oh God, I said yes. I, sh I don't know why I did it. I just said yes. And, but I didn't have, much like you putting me on the spot, asking me for a story, I didn't have um, a special thing that I could do. A lot of the girls would go on and be like gymnastics or I had nothing. And apart from I'm half Bulgarian, which is nothing, you know, it's not even that exciting. So they're like, I'll just come on and speak Bulgarian. So I was like, okay. And then I was thinking, I can't even speak Bulgarian. Why am I doing this? So I went on and oh I forgot everything I was meant to say and I just was like bleh, 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 and I don't know what to say and I was awful and it was cringe so no career was ever going to come off the back of that that's for sure but um I mean and I was wearing a Brentford shirt so I just completely discredited the good name of Brentford 
uh, being a soccerette. But I just kind of made up for it because I was then a soccerette again many, many years later when they horribly unearthed the footage because it had gone away. No one had known about it. And I remember I was watching Soccer AM once and I'm going, obviously going back a few years and hearing them say the fateful words of, we've got into the archives and we found a presenter who was a soccerette. And I was thinking, oh my God, oh my God, this is going to be me. I know it's going to be me. And it came and it was me um, and it was hideous. And so then I went back on to try and make amends. Not that I spoke Bulgarian, but try to make amends. Um, so yes. It's not funny. It's very cringe. Um, but that's the only thing I can think of. And sometimes it, it just haunts me. Every now and then it haunts me that that moment. So, yeah, I'm sorry it's not funny. No, that's fine. We, we can make a separate category for cringe Brendan stories. <laughs> <laughs> you might have to. Just It could just be my own cringy story because probably no one else will have one. But, yeah, it was just something that you want. You know when you want the ground to just swallow you up? That was that moment. So, yeah, a bit embarrassing. Okay, well, um, Natalie, thank you so much for joining us. Um, it's been a great, great hour of talking. Um, always love talking about Brentford. Uh, if you ever want to come back on the pod, always welcome. Uh, that was brilliant. Okay. So, okay. so thank you so much. Uh, the Eden Road podcast will be back following the round of FA Cup fixtures when we play Southampton at home. So thank you, Tias. Thank you, Clayton. We will see you in a couple of weeks. Podcast Network.